0: Hello and welcome. My name is Asad. My name is Jamie. We're two surgical trainees in the north of England, and this is the podcast that aims to dissect,
1: to probe, to anatomize, and analyse what it is to be a surgical trainee. Welcome to It's Always Sunny in Surgery. this episode we're talking about a very important topic um one which i think will strike a chord with a lot of trainees which is burnout and we have with us um i guess dr sobia khan chartered research psychologist um she's based in manchester uh dr khan welcome to the podcast Thanks, um, could you tell us a little bit about yourself
2: yeah sure so I started working as um, a research assistant at the University of Manchester in my sort of early years after graduation, more with mental health disorders such as schizophrenia, drug addictions and then I moved on to postnatal depression. And there I, I got into occupational health and so I practiced as a, a occupational health counsellor for um, sort of two to three years And I think that's when I first got introduced to um, burnout. So now at the moment, I am part clinical, part research. So I work at the University of Manchester, again, in clinical interventions and developing clinical interventions um, and also practice as a a therapist.
1: So you're probably the best person to answer this question. Um, I guess we should just start by talking about what burnout is, essentially.
2: So the sort of. ICD-11 has a definition of burnout as a syndrome that's conceptualised as resulting from chronic workplace stress um, that has not been successfully managed and it's characterised by different sort of dimensions and what the NHS is defining it as is is a state of physical and emotional exhaustion so it can occur when you experience long-term stress in your job or when you have worked in a physically or emotionally draining role for a long time low energy depletion exhaustion sometimes even sort of reduced professional efficacy it kind of shows up in not wanting to go into work or being at work and not really being uh, feeling like you're in it but you're just sort of on autopilot so that's a word that gets used quite a lot when I see someone with burnout.
1: Mm. A lot of the time you hear about burnout um, and I think it's something that not everyone recognizes is happening when it Mm. does people put it down to just acute stress or or, um, anxiety. So in terms of recognising it in yourself, what are the things to look out for?
2: You could look out for feelings of um, of emotions like feeling blunted, feeling helplessness or hopelessness, um, becoming tearful, irritable, numbness, feeling unfulfilled, um, sometimes feeling unappreciated by others, and also sort of not really appreciating yourself as well. It can also lead to sort of behavioural symptoms like disengagement, social withdrawal, sometimes loss of commitment to, to one's role. It's making mistakes that are not really what you usually do. You know, it could, it could be things that you knew really well, but you're struggling to do those things. Um, things like lack of holiday planning, because you're just always behind the task load. Um, so not really in the present or even sort of thinking about the future, but just trying to get through the here and now. Um, being inconsistent with work as well. So sometimes doing a lot of work and then sometimes just not being able to do any work at all. So those are sort of the behavioural symptoms. And then you can people can come with sort of physical symptoms as well, often complaining about aches and pains, headaches, feeling really tired or lethargic, sleeping problems. Memory and concentration have uh, been mentioned as well, Um, weight gain and weight loss. So some of these can be mistaken for depression because, you know, you can you can have memory problems, concentration problems and depression. And and then they can have uh, symptoms of depression at the same time with burnout. But things around confidence within their ability and in their work, that's that's something that that's quite crucial to burnout.
1: Is burnout dangerous? Um, I mean, as a doctor, as a clinician, there is of course a risk um, if you're, as you say, making mistakes, and there's a risk there to patient safety. But to the individual who's experiencing burnout as well, is it
2: long and persistent periods of sort of acute stress and burnout um, can lead to long-term health problems and difficulties. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, of course, I'm not a physical doctor, so but, but in my um, practice, I've seen people sort of develop. Type two diabetes, or fibromyalgia, or all these other sort of medically unexplained symptoms. Sometimes, sometimes where they they don't know what's really going on and why they're feeling so physically unwell. But it's it's you know it can be attributed to the, the, the stress at work and the burnout that they've been feeling and experiencing. Even psychological symptoms, you know, anxiety. So you know there is comorbidity with burnout. There are other things always going on.
1: I understand burnout can happen in all professions. But it seems to be particularly prevalent um, amongst medics, and especially surgical specialties. I understand majority of your experiences with um, those in the medical field with this. We're supposed to be good at recognizing illness. Are medics particularly good at recognizing this kind of thing in themselves, or is it the other way around?
2: So, my experience of working with medics, it's shown that often they are not really aware. They're going through burnout, and it's almost as though burnout for them is for other people. We we don't get to burn out, we we can't afford to burn out. It's some it's probably one of the things that I've heard over the years when I've worked with medics that you know there's no there's no time to even burn out, we've just got to keep going. And sometimes not recognizing themselves that they're really, really struggling. And it's almost it's almost a given that this is part and parcel of, of, of the work as a medic. This you know, long hours, um, unpredictable work shifts, losing staff members, doing two in one jobs. So it's 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 like I've I've often heard medics sort of refer to this as it's part and parcel of the job. It's what you do.
0: I think there's some an old fashioned sort of mentality, but there's lots to be said about people kind of talking about resilience and and perseverance and sort of saying that oh, back in my day. You know you just got on with the job and the job back then was perhaps quite different to what it is now, and that sort of steadfastness stiff upper lip kind of attitude that's echoed throughout sort of senior generations or, or mentors and stuff you know it it almost makes you feel like you're a copic like you're the you're the problem here you know you can't hack it what 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 business have you got being in the specialty or in the profession? You know, you need to, you need thicker skin. You need to be tougher. And I feel like there's not very good recognition that that is a pathological way of dealing with it. And then it's just perpetuated it over, over decades, probably. There's a false economy with the idea that it's the individual's fault, if that makes sense. Do you think that's something that's echoed in the people that you see, Sober?
2: Yeah, so um, sort of this hero identity is something that that's come up a few times. That you know, it's it's part and parcel of sort of being a rescuer. That the, you, you, you you're given that role. That your role is to cure people or to heal people, and you you can't seem to be broken yourself. So you've got to have that stoicism and and, and that kind of hero identity attached to you, which then. Leaves a person feeling quite vulnerable. Really, that you know, I can't speak up about my own brokenness when I'm too busy fixing others.
0: One of the definitions that I read about it, it says that burnout can be defined as depersonalization, emotional fatigue, or emotional labor, and uh, a sense of reduced personal accomplishment. Now, obviously, the 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 latter makes perfect sense, but I mean, those other two terms or labels, they just seem like really, really abstract. Like, what is depersonalization or emotional labor? Well,
2: I suppose dep- depersonalization uh, can be described as um, a feeling where uh, it, it's where you have the feeling of being outside of yourself and observing your actions and feelings from, or, or even thoughts, from a distance. So it's it's you're there, but you're outside of yourself. So it's 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 a form of a dissociative disorder which is around, you know, sort of having prolonged levels of trauma, stress, can leave you with having this out-of-body experience that you you kind of detach. So it can be seen as a coping mechanism, really, for the person, but it's because there is just too much stress and trauma to deal with, so you detach from your own self. And then emotional labour is sort of, um, from my understanding, it's a term that sort of comes from occupational psychology, so, for example, you know, in big fast food um, chains, this this whole concept of "have a nice day" that makes sure, you know, it doesn't matter what the person's going through, put a smile on your face and serve the customer and just say "have a nice day, sir or madam." And it's it, it, it's at what cost? So the smile on your face, you don't you don't know what that person's been going through, you don't know what's going on in their life, yet they're there to sort of serve the customer they're there to serve the other person and put their own feelings aside so that whole sort of laboring of your own emotion to just be able to put everything aside and put a smile in first what what does that cost a person i mean have you ever had to do that yourself person
0: <laughs> you hit me right in the feels there Sophia. yeah i feel like <laughs> I'm, doing I'm doing it right now you know you know it's, it's funny like we're all talking about this and um I wouldn't say I've come to the sort of realization right now but just having just talking about it and actually thinking about it and doing a little bit of introspection you know I'm I'm probably pretty pretty burnt out actually I feel like I haven't got much gas left in the tank some of the stuff some of the terms don't I don't really resonate with them I don't really get it but I understand what you mean I suppose I was telling my wife that sometimes I feel like I'm a bit like the the sad clown. A little bit you know, I put on a happy face, but yeah, like my my physical exterior demeanor doesn't reflect how I'm feeling on the inside. But to, to to the customer or to the audience, I'll be like, Hey, great, all smiles, hey. But on the inside, I'm you know, I'm either apathetic or I'm flat out sad and I don't really want to be there and I don't really want to feel like that. I just want to sit and wallow. But the circumstances or the kind of environment I'm in don't don't permit that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm.
2: Mm. <sighs> it's
0: heavy stuff this. I don't sure. know. I've um I probably I mean like um life-imitating art or art-imitating life. It's, um you know, they sort of talking about it in the medium and, and bearing your soul really kind of does open up a lens or a window onto it. But I've probably felt like this now for, I wouldn't say burnt out, but I've slowly been smouldering away now for about three, four, five months. Um, and I'm just sort of, Getting to the point where, where I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna cave eventually.
2: I mean, compassion fatigue is a, a word that's thrown around as well, but and it's often associated with with burnout. So a lot of the medics that I see will sort of talk about not not feeling too compassionate at the moment.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I definitely I definitely resonate with that. I mean, like I feel like I've got enough on my plate. Like it really, really, really don't have. The emotional capacity to kind of bestow mm. that on people. Like the other day, I was in hospital and there was a, I saw a patient he'd been operating on and he was complaining about like food and the machines beeping overnight and the guy next to him snoring and blah, 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 blah. And I just, I just like shouted at him. I was like, well, it's a hospital. It's not, you know, a hotel. It's not the Hilton, whatever. You don't come here in a five star suite. You're here because you had a problem that would have caused you to lose your leg and someone spent four hours operating in the middle of the night trying to try and save your leg and i get it mm. it's not comfortable but what what you complained about you've got your leg your leg would have been in a bucket mm. that's what would have happened And um, that's not really me actually it, even if i i don't believe in it i can still muster up empathy or even fake empathy like oh dear i know it's really difficult i'm sorry it's not really that pleasant but i'm just sort of at the end of my tether with with things like this and people needlessly complaining trying to dump their stuff on me means that i just i can't i can't, I can't accommodate that can't do the
1: have a nice day anymore
0: <laughs> no I really can't, I really can't. <laughs> <laughs> just it, it it takes extra energy and that's the thing like i really feel that like i'm at the limit of the energy that i can give you know what I mean? It just, you know, like I saw someone else that was was complaining about something that happened to the mother, like the elderly relative, their mother. And like, well, I'm just going to come out and say it. Like my mum's my not been well for a while and, and she died a couple of months ago. And like, um, you know, I don't have a big family. It's only ever been me and my mum. And, you know, I spent five years looking after her. I spent the last month nursing her. As she deteriorated towards the end. And like two weeks later, ping, there we go. I'm back into work because I don't have the time or I don't have the you can't get a more compassionate leave or whatever else it is. And you know, I don't really want to sound like a jerk to people, but when they're complaining about something that their eighty nine year old mother has have, you know have done, I don't I feel like saying you've got a mother. Like my mom was like, she died. So you're really chatting to the wrong person about this. I didn't say anything that I just walked off. I just walked off. It's just it's really hard to hmm. to give a shit about other people when you can't even you can't catch a break. Yeah,
2: yeah, absolutely. I mean this this what you've just described, I um, said this is something I see quite a lot with burnout it affects your relationships quite a lot you know we're talking about how it affects you individually as you know physically or emotionally but in terms of you in your relational context it does impact your relationships because there are some people you can actually take your frustration out on and there are others you can't so the the home seems to be a place where you can just sort of let off steam and something that sort of, um, I refer to as low frustration tolerance, that you might be able to just hold it all together at work, just about. But when you come home, that's the place where all the steam comes out. And that's where a lot of people's relationships are affected.
0: I think my wife, she's quite, she's a doctor, so I think she gets it. But it's really, really not fair on her. And I feel like a really crappy husband and a really crappy dad because like, I don't, I'm really struggling to, like, deal with the emotional needs of a baby. You know what I mean? And I just leave her to, like, look after stuff. Like, the other day, work finished early. It got cancelled. I was so happy. I was like, I can't. It's, I was like, my wife talks about manifesting. And I was mani- I was like, please, 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 please let this get cancelled. It's getting cancelled. When it got cancelled, I was like, yes! I ran to my car, skipping out the hospital, raced home, and then I just collapsed into bed and, like, fell asleep for three hours before. But I was just so exhausted baby's crying, she wants a break, she can't go for a week, she's trying to rock the baby to sleep. And like, I, there are times now where the baby doesn't want to be fed by me, she doesn't want to be rocked to sleep by me, and I feel like I'm a crappy father because I can't look after the baby. It really just hit you in the feels, like this is supposed to be your kind of safe space or the nourishing thing. And like, even that's taking a hit. My wife's, she's really good. She'll just say, look, it's okay, just you do what you can do, you do what you can do. But, I just feel terrible leaving the baby with her. And then uh, when I do come home early and I think about giving a break, I'm just so tired, I fall asleep, and then she just has to carry on.
2: Mm. I mean, that, that just sounds like what I was saying earlier on about feelings of energy depletion and exhaustion, you know, the classic sort of um, interpretation of what, what burnout is, that you've, you've just described it in, in an example
0: <laughs> yeah, like uh, a living, living, op-
2: yeah, a living case study.
0: Yeah, I finished the operation at one in the afternoon. I fell asleep right in the op note. I just sat in the chair and my eyes just shut. And then someone had to nudge me and, like, oh, you finished the operation? I was like, uh, no, I okay. And even now, today, I'm supposed to be home at five and the operation just overran until seven. And then it just, the cycle perpetuates. I get home late. She's trying to put the baby to sleep solo. She hasn't eaten. One of us would normally take turns making food. The job just feeds into that. Like it's just this thing that kind of dominates your life. And then, you know, she, she's so patient. She's just like, it's fine. It's okay. I knew that's who you were when, when we got married. I knew that's what you want to do. And I still want to do it. But right now my enthusiasm for it is just yeah. really taking a hit.
2: Yeah. So that's one of the behavioural symptoms as well that you could sort of relate it to in terms of loss of commitment. That you still want to do what you want to do, but you just don't you're not feeling it.
0: I've never been so happy when like when that operation got cancelled the other day. Mostly because I was just so exhausted. I was yeah, like, yeah. Yes. Normally I'd be chomping at the bit to do it. And then as soon as he said, Oh, the patient's not got a bed, I was like, right, I'm out of here, see you. Yeah. It's just I'm confrontational now. I'm normally quite chill. I'm getting more and more confrontational at work, actually. I'm looking for fights. I'm looking for an excuse to kind of snap at someone. Just, just to, In fact, this happened today, actually. There was a patient that needed a catheter. It was a, it was a female. And um, we've always been taught that nurses will do female catheters. And they said, are you going to do this catheter? And I was already scrubbed for the operation. I was like, no, I'm not doing the catheter. Or who's going to catheterise? I was like, I don't know. Find someone. Oh, there's no one here that can catheterise. We'll go out look a bit harder, find a nurse. And the fastest thing for me would have been to just take off my gown, take off my gloves, put the catheter in, and then re But I was like, no, I'm not. I'm going to sit here, and I'm going to wait, and you're going to go find someone. And if you can't find someone in, in this operating theatre, go to another operating theatre, search the whole theatre department, go to ward, I don't care. I'm not doing your job for you. You find someone, you do your own flipping. That's not what I was thinking, but do your own flipping job. I'm not here doing your jobs for you. I just, at the end of your tether. Basically, yeah. Mm. It's really easy for people to kind of go, oh, I can't do it. You do it. And then when you're a doctor, you feel compelled to do it. I can't give this drug. Fine. Give me the drug. Do you know how to administer it? No, but whatever. Just give me the drug. <laughs> Done it. Whereas now I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm at the point of saturation.
2: So when I was doing my research, um, especially in the NHS, just to see sort of what burnout is defined on some of the NHS websites, I came um, across one particular one that had top tips for NHS organisations. I might just sort of read them out and see what you think of them and how practical you think they are in the NHS at the moment. (laughs) This is going
0: to come (laughs) with an explicit warning. that I'm sure you realise, David, the thing, the absolute bane everyone's (laughs) of everyone's assistance <laughs> is like NHS coping strategies but let's let's go oh yeah
1: go for it God.
2: well I mean so in terms of sort of occupational health strategies that um, I worked on many years ago I could already see problems and pitfalls with this so what the first one was ensure optimum staffing levels where possible <laughs> you've both got a smile on your face with that one um, shift towards a culture of prevention and early intervention. Overcome the stigma of mental health conversations at work. Recognise pressures of maintaining a hero and identity. Upskill staff to understand burnout symptoms. Upskill managers to support staff effectively. Encourage compassionate leadership. Build organisational resilience.
0: The Jenga block that crumbles that whole tower is staffing. There aren't enough staff you know yeah. what I mean if you've got people going off sick or people feeling the mm-hmm. strain or under pressure you need yeah. staff to kind of cover for them and sometimes it just isn't
2: I mean the last one stands out for me as a build organisational resilience what does that mean
0: I have no idea it's just management well,
2: how, how do you build resilience say for example if you don't mind me using you as an example who's, who's just lost their mum so how do you build resilience within yourself at this moment
0: um, <laughs> I really don't know, you know. I don't I don't know. Like the, the grief thing, I'm not even like touched on the grief. I mean grief is a small part of the burnout that I'm feeling, but yeah. Sometimes I'll be in the middle of the operation. It's a good thing I wear a face mask because there'll be like a little tear running down my cheek. And um, it just comes when it wants to come. It just yeah. hits when it's gonna hit. And yeah. there's very little I can do that. I mean the most random triggers. It might be that I drove past an Audi on the way to work and she goes oh I don't like Audi drivers because they drive very aggressively and even that
1: just sets you off something as innocuous as that can do it
2: we're not all that bad
1: (laughs) (laughs) it's interesting going through that list I mean I can't really say that I've experienced NHS organizations not in the trust that I worked in doing really any of that um stuff I, I find the NHS actually quite it's an organisation that doesn't really deal with these things very well at all, mainly because of so short staff. They almost can't afford to. You yeah. know, for example, I said you're a perfect example. You've had two weeks time to as compassionate leave. I mean, who grieves for two weeks and then is ready to go back to work? That's. Do,
0: do you know? Yeah. What the best up thing about that? Is? it's two weeks for a first degree relative, and like, what really shit about this? And- it still hasn't even fully set in. You know, there are times when we all get under the cosh and then I would just nip around to my mum's house for a brew and she'd be like, oh, it's okay, don't worry about it. And now I'm like, oh, shit, I can't even do that. Oh, I can't do that anymore. I've got no safety net anymore. And it's just like... I mean, the worst thing is, like, to rub salt into all of this, is I just went through my latest ARCP and I got an mm-hmm. inadequate outcome. I've got an inadequate outcome because apparently I my last supervisor from two plus years ago, didn't fill out a portion of the form that only they can fill out. And now they've retired. So now mm-hmm. they can't fill it out and I'm being penalized for this. And it's like, on top of this, I'm already working. Like I, I should finish at five and here I am at like, you know, 8 PM getting home. And that happens every single day of the week because theaters run really slowly. I've got a, you know, a baby that doesn't want me to come for them. You know, I've got all this other stuff going on. I've, I have to go to and from this hospital. I've got my research going on. I'm like, I'm still grieving. And then they, just to stick the boot in, they go, oh, yeah, well, your performance is not up to much there. Can you just, okay. like, get your boss who's retired? What more do you want from me?
2: What do you think was lacking in that interaction, Asa? What would have helped you?
0: You know what? Compassion. <laughs> mm?
2: That's just- the word that <laughs> came into my mind, compassion.
0: Just someone understanding, just someone going, oh, yeah, you know, we've had a tough break. And instead, you get that, well, standards are standards, rules are rules. And like,
2: well, it's a top tip for the NHS organizations encourage compassionate leadership.
0: Mm. I nearly sent like the rantiest, sweariest email to the big boss woman in charge of my training. Mm. I was really close to doing it. Thankfully, I didn't. I just shut my phone off and then swore a lot at my wife, Just like, I can't believe that. And obviously, I can't repeat what I said because then we'll lose our clean rating. And it's not just me. I mean, there's loads of people who feel like this. You think, I'm just struggling to kind of make my way through training. And then the people that oversee this training just stick the boot in and go, there you go. Mm -hmm. Work harder. Beating will continue until morale improves.
2: I mean... I just want to go back to the point you made earlier on that you get two weeks off for compassionate leave or is it compassionate leave?
1: I think so. Yeah. yeah that think you're talking first about. degree relative. What do you get for second degree relative? Yeah. You're on call tomorrow
0: night. Are you coming in <laughs> or what? That's what you get. Literally, you don't, there's no, there's no, nothing now.
2: Well, when I worked in um occupational health company, I used to see people from sort of different um, government sectors And someone could be off for a year if they said if the the primary reason was depression and the secondary was grief. It's almost like, well, you're you're depressed because you've lost someone. But if you say I've lost someone, you're going to get two weeks off. But if you turn it around and say, I'm actually depressed, highly stressed and anxious, and I'll just get a sick note from my GP. You could technically have six months to a year off. Is that right? Could you do that in the NHS?
0: I probably could actually. I probably could. You know, like my wife has said, she signed off teachers for months and months and months. And it's not meant to be. It's not meant to be like a, you know, a, a, a burnout measuring contest. While I'm whinging about the constraints of my job, I'd probably rather do this than teach. You know, unruly scrotes in school. But it's just, it's really good at providing a service for other people. She's had people come, you know, oh, but she you know, she's in, fine, a different arm of the NHS. Oh, yeah, fine, here you go, six months, here you go, four months, whatever, go do some counselling. Go outside, I'll prescribe you some nature, or whatever it is. Whereas, like, boots on the ground, like grunts, we get, you know, told to stay in the trenches.
1: There are some differences between specialties, though I've noticed in terms of how supportive um, trainers are towards this sort of stuff. Um, surgery, we are notoriously bad at recognising and dealing with trainees who are experiencing burnout. I think because of what I said, sort of touched upon, we've got this kind of culture of uh, ultra resilience that we we're we never go to get sick. We never have any issues. When I was on psychiatry, I found the trainers were much, I mean, they would be, wouldn't they? They're <laughs> psychiatrists, but they're much more supportive. Um, mm. We used to have weekly sessions with where we'd have one hour to just talk about you know just how our training was going with the trainers and cases that had affected them difficult cases sad cases anything like that I mean we don't have anything like that in surgery but you know stuff like that that actually is one of those things that can act as a preventative measure for for burnout and and excess stress and things like that
2: well that sounds incredibly lonely doesn't it yeah. You want to be like a lone ranger in this whole field of lots of other people doing surgeries, but no one's talking and no one's listening and no one's supporting. So I also um, lost my father at the end of last year and um, went back into work um, sort of early January. That, that was for, for out of choice. I wanted to go back into work. And um, one of my line managers asked me, How are you feeling, Serbia? So I sort of turned around and said, do you want the real answer or do you want the professional answer? And so he he kind of looked at me gormlessly at first. And then he said, well, the real answer, of course. And I just let it out. You know, it it, it was an unfiltered version of how I was feeling. And I think it's one of the best things I've ever done because wearing that professional hat can be quite costly for your own self. So I agree with what... um, as we was saying earlier on about people having agency for their own health, I think that applies to us and that applies to medics who are actually undergoing um, extreme levels of stress and burnout. That when we look towards the organisations that we work for, we're still leaving our own health in external hands. When we take charge and being able to communicate that with people, sometimes it's enough to make someone listen when you actually talk. But when you're not talking, they're not listening.
0: Hmm.
1: You think we need to have more of like a, like a culture change within the NHS where we are more open to talking about it? Uh, in, in terms of your experience, have you noticed any kind of culture change where people become more accepting of you know people having to take time out because of burnout? And-
2: I can only... It's sort of relay that in this in the way that if medics are coming back and telling me about what culture they're trying to change in the, within their organisation. So assertiveness is something I discuss quite a lot when it comes to interventions for burnout. But if if you're not going to speak up, if you're not going to let people know, you you can't change a culture. Program that came on. I said, do you know which one I'm talking about.
0: Oh, the uh, uh, this is going to hurt.
2: Yes, that kind of portrays a lot of what's going on. And that program itself has, has sort of voiced something that probably was hush hush or talked about, but it's, it, it was aired on, on, on television. It's a book people have read. There, the, there is a bit of a cultural shift that can we say this out loud? The, the, the fact that we're having this conversation openly and we're talking about this and saying, look, I'm an occupational health therapist, yet, you know, going through grief, I've, I've gone through quite a horrible time, but I'm quite open. You know, I'm open with my, with my clients. When, when I went back into work, I was very open, very transparent. I think part of working congruently with, with, with your clients is just letting them know what's going on with you or what you've been through. In the past, maybe I would have been a bit scared to say that, you know, I'm supposed to be okay all the time. I'm supposed to know how to deal with myself. As you were saying earlier on, I said that grief is so unpredictable. You just don't know. You don't know how you're going to be. One minute you're fine, and the next minute you've got tears rolling down your cheeks. So there there does there does need to be some level of shift. But I don't I don't know whether we wait for the shift to happen externally, or do we make those internal changes and then all of us create to an external, uh, you know, create a change externally.
1: I think, um a lot of it will be suddenly um sort of higher management will come to the realization that there's an incentive to properly deal with this stuff for the reasons of staff retention. I don't know what the figures are, but I imagine um the n h s loses a lot of staff because of this issue you You talked about uh interventions i mean we've we've sort of touched upon one of the obvious ones, which is taking a step back and maybe um taking some time away from work if possible but that's all very well but what what are there any other things that can be done I mean in order not just to deal with burnout when it happens but to try and prevent it
2: you know when you're on high alert and high level of stress all the time you you need to just to be able to slow down so I've I've seen that quite a lot with people with burnout One of the things I've found is that sometimes when there's a lot of high alert or high stress in, in, in your professional life, just slowing down can make all the difference. So you, you know, you're tired. You're tired already. Well, maybe, you know, a half an hour walk where you're more sort of in touch with your surroundings, more outside of your head and more into sort of, you know, the external stimuli. That can often slow you know, the processes in your brain. Compassion. We're, we're not compassionate with ourselves. If other people are not compassionate, neither are we. So if we keep going and, you know, we're like the hamster on the hamster wheel, we just don't stop, then we're not showing compassion to ourselves. So you've got all the great sort of tips from cognitive behavior therapy about cognitive restructuring and changing your mindset and changing your thoughts and beliefs around something. That's all well, but it's about, right, okay, well, how how do we change to compassionate practices? How do we just slow down? How do we allow ourselves, give ourselves permission to just stop and just be sometimes? Do I really need to be doing this, 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 or can I just today rest and just sit back? Does it have to lead to a point where I crash and burn Or actually, could I can I book some leave earlier? You know, can I put that request in for my own mental health? Say, actually, you know, I've been feeling really stressed, and I think I need a week off. So those sort of strategies to employ with you know with yourselves that that might be quite useful for things like burnout.
1: Hmm. Is it something that you know you can do on your own, or do you do you need to seek help when you're burnt out?
2: I think you will benefit if you did seek help. I think you can, it depends on what stage you're at, Jamie. Mm. If you're just recognizing that, look, I think I'm starting to burn out, then perhaps you could employ some of these strategies. You know, you do a bit of mindfulness, breathing, compassionate focus um, work. But when you've been going through burnout for a very long time, so it's sometimes very hard to do things by yourselves. Sometimes it's very hard to even recognize, you know, that, that this is what you're going through. So at that point, asking for help or, or reaching out to someone, I think would be a really wise
0: idea. Yeah, I personally feel that burnout probably comes too much when when you just kind of completely apathetic at least in medicine if you don't give a shit about what happens you're dangerous mm. because you can do whatever it is and you're like well i don't care well i don't care your actions or inactions or apathy can have legal consequences yeah. and it can really really ruin someone else's life your life and the rest of your career and so i think that's probably you want to kind of stop well before that point and I was at that point a few years ago essentially it's all to do with my mum's health and when she was first diagnosed with cancer that I I was I really really did not care about what happened to, to to kind of other people's sort of health and it took my supervisors almost like my coaches to put me on the bench and say listen you need to, for your own safety, for your own career, for, you know, like you're, you're not in the right frame, man. You need to just take it easy. I don't think I'm quite there yet, but I have used some stuff that's been really, really helpful. I'd probably say that talking or counselling or whatever you want to talk about, it, I found it really cathartic. You can store up a, a lot of emotion, or a lot of anger, a lot of rage, or even no emotion, but perhaps just discussing it in 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 um with a, even a total stranger. It doesn't even have to be someone you know. Just a total stranger sit there listens allows you to sort of jettison some of that emotional energy, and it almost it's like a steam valve on a kettle that just allows the steam to escape. That was pretty effective. I mean, there are some really really good counselling services for doctors. Plan for surgeons, the Royal College of Surgeons has its own helpline, the BMA has its own helpline. So, you know, it's hard to muster up the courage to contact them, but we're not as alone as we think. It's like you say, so be a transparency. I went and I told my boss, I had a of cry in his office. I was like, I can't, do, you know, I'm, I'm, I can't do this. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like uh, I can't manage, I can't cope with all these things at once. And like, I can't deal with the fact that my mum's dead. It's really, really hard. And he told me he was, like, he was on call once and he was a registrar similar to where I was. And he was driving home from his night shift and his dad died. He got a phone call from his relatives in Sudan and he was like in the middle of a night shift on the M62, stuck in standstill traffic. And he was like, it's the worst day of my life. You know what I mean? I've already knackered from an awful shift. And then I've got relatives wailing down the phone and I have to kind of just make my way home and sort out all the other stuff and sort out at a funeral and come back to work and all the rest of it. And he said, like, yeah, we just need time. Take the time. He's been very supportive, actually. I have been leave. We come back to that. I've, uh, I've, I've applied for some annual leave. And, you know, I'm just going to take a couple of weeks off. So I'm going to go reconnect with the family that I do have. I'm going to go rent a car, drive around America, Put it on the credit card. So what? Don't care. It's more important stuff in life. You know what I mean? It's gonna be a nice, a spacious car. We're gonna stay in some nice hotels. I'm gonna have like pancakes. Well, all the stuff that you can that, you, that I feel like I want to do, I can do. And like, what was really good was when I told the annual leave person that I wanted leave here. She said I couldn't apply because too many people had done it. I told my boss, and he was just, he's the rotor master as well. And he just said, Look, you either give it to him or he's going to go off sick. So mm. I'm happy for you to approve it. We'll cope as a department. Self love, I haven't really understood that as a concept until recently. But yeah, love yourself a little bit. I feel like it's all right. People always say this, and maybe it's an empty platitude, but it's okay not to be okay. I feel mm-hmm. like there's a spectrum of emotions in life. And you can't always be happy. Otherwise, happy would be normal. It wouldn't be happy. It would just be the norm. So being sad, you know, it's fine to be sad. I remember, you know, when it was really sunny a couple of days ago, um, I locked myself indoors and drew, put a blackout curtain up and drew the curtains, even though it was like 24 degrees Celsius, and just uh, binge watched the series. It was great. I felt really good doing that. Even though <laughs> people were like, "Go oh, enjoy the sunshine. I was like, today. I am very much shutting all the curtains and I'm going to lie in bed (laughs) with a duvet over my head and I'm going to eat sweets and I'm going to watch a series that I wanted to watch and no one's going to disturb me and that's what I'm going to do.
2: Good for you, I said.
0: Was um, Yeah, it was pretty good. You know, those are the kind of things you've got to be doing. You've just, no one else will probably take charge of your own health. So you have to take a bit of agency. But... There was a Twitter post I saw recently, which is pretty horrifying actually, and it, it it rang some alarm bells because there was a a vascular surgeon that that was working at a unit, and I knew that I know this person personally. I've worked with him for like two years of my life. And he's a really really good bloke. Uh, I really enjoyed working at, and and he died. And so there was an internal WhatsApp message being like saying, "We've had someone who's." unexpectedly died overnight, platitudes came in, like, oh, we're really sorry, what a loss to the unit. And then 15 minutes later, can someone cover this vacancy? And it was just like, it's just a name on a rotor. I felt really, um, really saddened by that.
2: Well, my supervisor, Neil, always says, when we say work like work-life balance, it's life-work. Life is always supposed to come before work. You know, we're human before we are professional selves. If we don't look after ourselves, if we don't sort of give ourselves that permission, because, I mean, when you're talking about the blackout curtains and watching a binging on a series, you gave yourself permission to do that, I said. I mean, I also watched two films back to back on Sunday afternoon, which is not like me at all. Um, But I just felt like, what, what the hell? Just do it. It's fine. You know, I started. I I remember this feeling of just feeling guilty. I was like, no, I, I can't watch another. I can't watch another film after I've just seen one. And I thought, why not? But like why why can't I actually watch another film? You know, well, so you if you're tired, you're tired, and you've got to stop to listen to your body. It's telling you something. But because we're so busy, we don't. And this is why we get to sort of. Conditions like adrenal fatigue, whether it's medical or not, I had no idea. But, you know, there is something around just feeling extremely exhausted. And that's what burnout leads to as well. That feeling of emotional and physical exhaustion all the time. So just, you know, indulging in, in these, or not even indulging, that's the wrong word. But, you know, when, when we're not trying to be heroes, we can try and be human.